Well, good day. It's Ed Stetzer Live, and I'm Ed Stetzer, and I'm broadcasting to you live from my studio here at Mariner's Church in Southern California. And uh, for many of you who are listening, who are on the Moody Network, we're on different networks sometimes, but most of you overlap. You heard our uh, Mike Ferreras just beforehand hosting uh, Open Line, with, uh, as he does when he fills in sometimes. And he actually is recording from Southern California, or broadcasting from Southern California. So it's a, it's a Moody Radio partner and affiliate Southern California Morning. And so glad to have you with us as as well. It did rain this week, so we really, really were very sad because we, we never get rain here. So I know I know it's still 75 degrees, and but it did rain this week. So just keep in mind that we're, 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 we're kind of in a sad season here. We're like not being able to go out and go for walks every day. Anyway, just having a little fun as a former guy. I used to live in Chicago for seven years there at Wheaton College, but now I am the, uh, the dean and a professor at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And for today, I am, and every Saturday, I'm your host here on Ed Stetzer Live, and our guest today is going to help us to understand uh, the Bible, not just about its content, but more about its maybe origin and why it matters and its journey and more. Our guest today is uh, Rob Suggs. He's written and collaborated on more than 60 books. Among them are Christmas Ain't My Family, the comic book Bible, and the book that conquered time. The book that conquered time is going to be what we talk about today. We actually have five copies we're going to give away, not just to random folks calling up saying I want a book, but to brilliant and insightful callers, as you always are. He's an experienced teacher and preacher and has led a four-part seminar on how the Bible came to be, also wrote the Life Guide, Bible Studies, Ten Commandments, and Christian Community. So super glad to have you, Rob, here to talk about the, well, the book that conquered time. And fascinatingly, you actually trace the history of the creation of the Bible. I think a lot of people um, maybe, I mean, maybe me, maybe me when I was a new believer, kind of perceived that the Bible maybe came down on, well, maybe golden plates, but that's a different religion, but came down somehow all connected and completed. And then later I found out it wasn't one book, but it was 66 books. And later I found out that it spans centuries of time. So let's jump in and just, why do you think it's important for us to understand the history of how the Bible came to be? Well, thanks for having me, first of all, Ed. Um, I wrote this book because I wanted to write a kind of biography of the Bible, like you'd write a biography of any famous person. I felt like I wanted to introduce it to people who don't know it. And it's interesting that you said your perception of it as a new Christian was that it came down on a golden plate, all formed and and ready and connected in 66 books. Um, I think most people today, it's more the opposite. They are highly suspicious of it. They kind of keep themselves at a distance because they're afraid that it's going to pop like a bubble. They're just, Hmm. they hear what the world says. They think it's maybe a collection of myths. They believe that it's been copied over so many times that we have no idea what it originally said. And so they kind of keep their distance from it. And what I found um, as someone who's been around the Bible all my life was, the closer you draw to it, the more powerful it becomes, the more in, the more personal it becomes, the more integrity it has. And boy, just don't be afraid of it because it's it's it defends itself. Yeah, fascinating. I, I actually, because I grew up nominally Catholic, so Irish Catholic, New York City. So we sort of had this high respect for the Bible. Matter of fact, I, I would put yes. it, I would say, God wrote a book. God wrote a book. I just didn't think I could understand it. And then when someone opened the Bible, it was very, you know, transformative for me. But we're at a different stage. You know, that was decades ago. We're at a different stage in our culture. And I think you're you're right. A lot of people are just sort of unsure 
um, of its origin. I, I remember the first time I was a new Christian, and the first time someone uh, finding out I was a relatively new Christian questioned the authority of the Bible. And this is I started my journey asking some of the questions. You are it's my high school, uh, maybe my not, maybe my middle school, late middle school, early high school teacher when talking about the Bible said, "Well, you know, the Bible's a." A good book written by shepherds thousands of years ago that doesn't have application to our life today. And, and right, I said, was it by right. shepherds? And so I started doing some work. So so how would, if like, so my first understanding of the history of the Bible, thousands of years ago, some shepherds wrote this stuff down, doesn't have application today. But could understanding the history of the Bible help us understand more clearly how God is working through his word, has worked through his word? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and this journey that's in the book, uh, which takes us through the history of how the Bible came to be, uh, we do talk about the various parts of the Bible and what kinds of people wrote those parts of the Bible. And, you know, we, we go into the assumption that God inspired it all, that the voice of God speaks through it, but he speaks very definitely through the personalities of the people. And, uh, yeah, some of them were, were shepherds. One of them wrote a lot of Psalms, for example. Yeah, but did. a lot of other different kinds of people wrote the Bible. It was written by kings and prophets and priests and ordinary people like Abraham. Uh, and just that they were just called out and um, for the, with their stories, not that Abraham wrote any of it, but people like him. Yeah, certainly uh, people of, of centuries, millennia ago. And so then for some people, the question becomes, you know, how is this pertinent to me uh, and how, so, so let's, let's even talk about that. So it was going to, you, part of what you write about is you'd actually think that understanding the history of the Bible could help people, well, engage the Bible more effectively, could could bring more people to faith and more. So that's a pretty lofty goal. I don't generally think of one way to reach more people is for understanding the history of the Bible, but you, you kind of make that case, and I found it interesting. So tell us a little bit about why that's the case. Yeah, I think you're right in that it's not the major um, evangelistic weapon that we're going to use, a book like this. But I, I wrote more for the Christian who's been around the Bible, has been maybe to Sunday school classes and Bible studies, but really doesn't know what's in that book. Uh, the, the type of people I teach on Sunday mornings in my class that uh, are, again, I feel like there's a kind of almost a, um, a functional agnosticism in our churches and that people say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in these things, but I don't really want to. I don't really want to get too close to it because I'm afraid I'll find that it's all mythology and that it's not real. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'd lose my church and I'd lose my friends. So I wanted them to say, "Look, let's get to know this book. Let's look, take this on. How do we know that these that what we're reading is what they wrote two thousand, three thousand years ago?" And so we go into the different parts of the Bible, how they came together what kinds of people made the decisions to uh, use this, don't use that. And then how do we know it stayed the same? You know, how do we know we're reading something that is in line with what was originally written? Because so much is based on that. You know, we, we even in, you know, schools and the doctrinal statements, I serve at the Talbot School of Theology and Biola University, yes. I was at Wheaton. I think I think all of those doctrinal statements say, uh, that the Bible was, I think it used the word inerrant at both schools and and in the original autographs, which sounds like a strange yes. phrase. It's not, autographs doesn't mean that 
that you know John wrote his John Hancock as a big flowery signature at the end of the gospel, but it means that you know what was actually written there. So this leads to a lot of questions, and I know our audience is going to have questions as well. For example, we don't have any of the original autographs, not one. So what does that mean for the idea of the Bible being reliable, being true? It's history. But I'm going to open up the phones as well and invite people to call at 877-548-3675. 877-548-3675. Maybe you have a question about how the Bible came to be, what's in the Bible, what's not in the Bible, why, um, you know, what, what ultimately, how that, how that matters for our faith and more. Um, and so, again, we're talking to uh, Rob Suggs. The, the book is The Book That Conquered Time. We're going to give away a few copies to our brilliant callers. Um, so, you know, the Bible's the best-selling book of, of all time. It, it always is. You always go every year. It's there. Um, why do you think that is after so many thousands of years? I think because it is just so absolutely unique, because it, it has... Um, one thing we talk about is how deeply it has affected our culture. It affects our language, the expressions we use, the way we look at each other, the way our justice system works. Western culture is based on the Bible. And people uh, think that, uh, well, we could just kind of push the Bible aside. Not so easily. I mean, it's it's been, it's had thousands of years of shaping the way we think and the way we speak and the way we see each other, the the meaning of things. So people who think that they are completely divorced from Christian or all, all religion. And they say, I have no religion. I have no faith and I have no spiritual beliefs. Those people too are tremendously molded more than they know by the Bible. For sure. For sure. Remember our number is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Of course, you know, we can't trust the Bible because it has uh, been translated and people have added things to it and taken things they didn't want out of it. And so so the Bible is uh, maybe maybe long ago it was more to the true written intent of the author, but we can't trust it anymore, right? Oh, <laughs> that, that's an interesting <laughs> thing. You know, the Internet has really, really cut into a lot of things. So yeah, but, it, but Rob, it, you can't put it on the internet unless it's true. So, you know, it's if it's on the internet, it's true. So we, we <laughs> But I, I see a lot of Jesus never existed. Jesus is a fairy tale. Yeah. And you and I know that even the most skeptical of the skeptics out there, people who study the Bible every day, but maybe you're not Christians at all, they'll all tell you that Jesus definitely existed. That's a historic fact. Now, when we get into the miracles and the resurrection, we can talk about those things, but... Jesus existed, but you, as you said, you can't believe everything on the internet, but it has, there's been this general challenge that the Bible is just like any other ancient piece of literature. It's a bunch of stories. It's a bunch of myths and we can't trust it. And one of the, the, uh, I guess the central things I set out to challenge was this idea that we have no idea what was in those original autographs. And I have a member of my family that believes that, and it's very. Mm-hmm. We, we've I've tried to dialogue with him about it, and he just it's it's hard to get through. He believes that it's like that game of telephone, and you've heard that comparison to where you whisper something in someone's ear, and they whisper it, and they whisper it, and it goes around the circle, and the message changes. And of course, you and I know Bible transmission was nothing like that at all. Um, and you know, we I don't know how deep into the what into the weeds we would go on that, but. 
the point is it's it's more like I write something down and I hand it to someone else and then he makes a copy of it very carefully and hands it to someone else. And then over time, people are copying those copies. So um, it's very different than a game of telephone, in other words. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the level of precision, the intentionality, and more. We're going to talk more yes. about that and much more with Rob Suggs. His new book is The Book That Conquered Time. We're taking your calls as well, 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. back at Stetzer Live, and we're talking about the Bible, not just like the, what the Bible's content is, but really kind of the history of the Bible itself. A, a biography of the Bible is the way Rob Suggs, our, the author here of the book, The Conquer Time, explained it to us as well. We're taking your calls. We've got lots of calls lined up, so we're going to jump right in. 877-548-3675. Rob, it's always fascinating to me, like what people are interested in calling in about. And it appears, based on our phone calls here today, that people are interested in talking about these issues. So let's uh, let's take a look and start uh, jumping in with, to our conversation. Let's see. Uh, we're going to go to Victoria in Rialto, California. Victoria, you're live on the air. You go ahead with your question or comment. Hello. Uh, I'm so grateful to hear that this book is being offered and the author has written it because I'm a 67-year-old grandma with a 22-year-old grandson who was raised in not in our home all the time, but a lot of the time that he was growing up, he lost his dad to a car accident, so no father in in the um, home. But his grandpa is a Christian, and he went to church with us. But he's 22 now. He's gone through relationships, car accidents, drugs, alcohol. And he said, Grandma, how can you believe in that old antiquated book? It's been passed down for all these years. Nobody believes in that anymore. How can you think that it's the truth? I think it's nothing more than Wikipedia. It can be changed. It could be somebody's opinion. I need help. <laughs> well, I think it's a great question, Victoria. If you'll hold on just a second, and after Rob Suggs answers, we're going to give you a copy of his book to help. It's called The Book That Conquered Time. Maybe that'll help you in your conversation with him as well. But, Rob, what do you think? Boy, that is such a great question, and I know exactly where she's coming from. Um we face a culture that is saying, you know, why should I believe that? And number one, be thankful the question's being asked, even if it's being asked skeptically, because it shows a desire to listen, to, to can I trust this book? And maybe, maybe he doesn't believe he can, but this is where the Bible can stand up for itself. It, it can if he gets into a good study, if you could get him to in, into a good study in a church, for example, where some of these questions could be answered and where the Bible could be taught, he would see that it does apply. Everything in it, in Old Testament and New, applies to the, the struggles we face today because people don't change. So, yes, these are old stories, but they're stories about people very similar to the people we face today. And what attracted me to the Bible from the very beginning, I think, is that it understands us so well. It doesn't have faultless characters. David is not a faultless mm -hmm. character. Abraham is not a faultless character. Um, none of the, Moses, none of these people 
They're all just very imperfect people. And yet it just nails the problem of sin, the Bible does. And so when I talk to people, I begin to talk to them on the basis of, don't you feel like there are things in your life that you wish weren't so? Isn't What is it that's wrong with all of us? It's not just you, it's all of us. We have these things in our lives, life that uh, just aren't right. These temptations we have, these tendency to do things wrong. The Bible understands that. It nails it. It understands the problem of sin, and it shows us what to do about it. Well, good. Hel- That's helpful. maybe and a what, beginning. You know, yeah. Right. Hold on the line, Victoria, too, because right after uh, well, well, right after I'm done talking, our producer is going to come on the line. Karen, she's going to give you a copy uh, of the book. And super, super helpful question. Okay, let's go to David listening on WMBI in Chicago. David, you're live on the air. Go right ahead. Hi. I um, really appreciate your program. It's excellent. Thank you. Um, my question is, um, uh, I believe you had said that um, there's not one original um, uh, autograph or, or manuscript, the original, uh, that, is, uh, that had survived. And so my question is, uh, isn't, it, isn't it true that... Um, a manuscript was was uh, by archaeologists was found that was uh, around uh, the time of John uh, the Apostle John around 100 A.D. or so. Isn't that correct? What do you think, Rob? Well, that's a, that's a good question too. Uh, we're finding new manuscripts all the time, and some of them get very close to. Uh, that period that is the most interesting period to me, which is the period of the Gospels. So we found some things that could be very late first century. Now, if you get very late first century, yes, that's around the time John was written. We haven't found what John wrote, though. We found very, very early copies, possibly. But keep in mind that the copies we find are fragments. There, You can find pictures of them online. They look like someone ripped something out of a book, and there are little groups of words here and there. But by the way, this is this is why we have less of a need to see those originals than you might think, is because there are so many copies. There's so many thousands, and they're in so many different places. They're in Egypt. They're in Asia Minor. They're in Europe, and they compare very well to each other. So here's the thing. Let's just say John writes this. He writes down his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, etc. And then people begin to make copies. And these copies go all off to different corners of the world. And then you find that 30 years later, there's copies of copies. And they still match each other. And the only thing that's different, or maybe the, the word the is, is different here, or um, there's a qualifying adverb, uh, well, not even an adverb, preposition that's stuck in there, very minor words that don't affect the sentence at all. And those are the only changes. That's the situation we have with manuscript study. We know that uh, scholars will tell you what we have is about 97% accurate to the original, we believe, because there's just such consistency in the the copies we have. Yeah, and I I think that... 
I think, and I want you to hold on and get a copy of the book as well. Remember, we're gonna if you'll just hold on for the line after I'm done talking, uh, we'll give you Rob Sugg's book, the book that conquered time. But, but I, I think David that again, I'm I'm not a New Testament scholar, but I, I if I recall, the oldest manuscript is in, in the Rylands Library, and it's kind of mid 100s. I think maybe I mean there are books that might be yeah, uh, older yeah. than. Uh, then, the, for example, the book of Revelation, uh, you know, there, there might be, you know, things like the Didache and the Shepherd of Hermas. So maybe that's what you're yes. thinking about. Yes. Whereas there are books that are not in the Bible that are as old as the Bible that are Christian books. And so, so, but, but I'm not sure. So I, but we don't, I don't think anybody says that I've ever heard, and I could, could be wrong, but I don't think I've heard anybody say that we have an actual manuscript in part because it would be, I mean, paper would be very difficult to, withstand yes. 2,000 years of, of time. And here's the great thing. And now I'm jumping on your stuff, Rob, so forgive me. But here's the great thing. The power <laughs> is not in the object. It is in the inspired and errant words. So even if we had the original manuscript, it wouldn't be any more holy. It's not like a relic that we would carry around and put in a case and you know walk through town singing about it. It's the Word of God, not the paper upon which the Word, or the papyrus in that case, upon which the Word is written. So super question, David, and just hold on, we're going to give you uh, a copy of this as well. Let's go. You started getting at this a little bit, and I think John, John in Moline, Illinois, is listening on WDLM. He's got a question that I think will help us move forward the conversation. John, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Yes, thank you very much again. Um, just kind of curious as I've studied and reading more in the Bible and getting deeper with it, uh, older person's age. Um, and the other day, uh, at a, a little Bible study group we go with, um, they said, well, why do we have so many conversions like the Living Bible, which I've read and studied with that, of course, and as you grow from the 25 to 45 age. And I agree with what has been said here this morning. The question, and I guess I'm going back for confirmation of my own thoughts here from the people here today on the show. Um, if it was King James, it was the Living Bible, whatever verse you want to call out there, they're all pretty much close because, like you say, we don't have an exact word-for-word word proven. And if that makes you understand what Christ does for us and God's power was in the creation of all this, then that's the true test I was feeling is there, what makes you feel to grow, to dig deeper, not just the name of the conversion, of what the book is. The version, right, the version, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I'm looking. Right, let's 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 have Rob Suggs jump in. Let's have Rob Suggs jump in on that and, and talk a little bit about that because I think just to make sure we get one thing though to be clear, most uh, the overwhelming majority of uh, English uh, translations of the Bible rely on the same set of manuscripts. So there's two. So it's not that the translations are not generally saying. I mean, with exception of there are exceptions. I'm saying generically, most recent translations of the Bible rely on the same or a similar set of manuscripts. King James Version has some variants. We'll talk about that, but but I want to make sure we're talking. So let's start with the question of why there are different translations rather than and and John, you hold on the line. Remember, we're going to give you a copy of the book. Uh, but why are there different translations if we have some reliable manuscripts? That's a really is a good question and a common one. I hear that a lot. People were saying, I'm confused by all these translations and why are there so many? And we have a whole chapter on that and toward the end of the book. Um, and it introduces some of the translations. It doesn't make a lot of value judgments on which translation is better than the other. But part of this is that 
as Ed said a minute ago, um, it's not the paper that it's written on. It's not any of that. Those are the wineskins. You know, Jesus talked about new wine placed in old wineskins. These translations are like wineskins that, that cover, that, that have carry the word of God. But while the word of God never changes, human language does. So, for example, for 500 years, I guess, the, the King James Bible was just a fabulous, fabulous translation. I, re- I wrote a lot about the King James because I'm actually a fan of it. Yes, it has inaccuracies in it today, and a lot of the wording is archaic. But it was written during Shakespeare's era, the most beautiful period of the English language. God chose to, to bring the King James out of that. So it's written for poetry, it's written for sound, and it just it carried through the years. But now we need new translations because the language has changed. We don't say faith, hope, and charity anymore. We say faith, hope, and love. So we need to keep up with the changing of the language. That's part of it. Also, there are different purposes for different translations. If you have the New American Standard Version, you've got a very, very, very accurate, almost painfully accurate, word-for-word translation. So you people that like to know, I want to know exactly what the Greek word was and exactly what the English version of that Greek word was. Well, that's the New American Standard and translations like it, the English Standard Version, etc. But it might be a little less readable as a result of that. A version like the New International and some of the others is going to come along and say, Let's take a concept for concept and translate it not based on every word, but based on every sentence and get the sentence. Okay, we're going to run out of time. So there are different we're gonna run purposes. Out of time, Rob. So we're going to jump right back into a conversation with Rob Suggs in just a minute about his book, The Book That Conquered Time. And your call is 877-548-3675. Stetzer Live. Sorry about that little cut off there at the end, Rob. Appreciate you hanging with us. We unfortunately got a heartbreak at the bottom of the hour. We're giving away a few copies right. of Rob Suggs', Suggs book, The Book That Conquered Time. We're talking about it because it's kind of a biography of the Bible. Um, there are several questions, Rob, that are coming in that I think I'll probably just put them together as one question. Um, and so if that's okay for our, for our listeners, our callers. So uh, Doug in Michigan asks, do you think the NLT is a good version? If so, why? Why is some scripture taken out compared to the NKJV, uh, where, where it's in the NKJV? So, but I'm going to combine these together. Could um, could Rob comment? This is Michael in Dayton. Could Rob comment about how his research would impact the thoughts about a key King James only group? Are also are there some translations to avoid? Which are the best ones? And then another one is why there's so many different versions of the Bible. What's their what's the opinion of the best version? But I think they. They all kind of have to do with, and you, and you said there were some, I think you used the word mistakes in the KJV, which I want to I wanna give you the opportunity to explain by that what you mean by right. that, because, right. uh, because the, the, the language can mean different things to different people. So if you don't mind, unpack, because, I mean, we're talking about manuscripts here with the KJV, and we're talking about translations as well. So just walk us through that so people understand that why we got these different translations, why the KJV has some verses that others don't, and what do you think about modern translations today? 
Okay, board. That's that's a lot there. Okay, and if you could so do that all in me... about seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, first of all, yes. I don't. If I use the word mistakes, I don't. I don't want to use that word at all. So let's let's have that stricken from the record. No, I totally um, knew what you're saying. You were talking about some translation yeah. differences, right? It, it, translation differences, and it has to do with um, discoveries that have been made since 1611. You know, uh, since around the time of, of, of Queen Elizabeth, when that translation was made, they did a tremendous job, the scholars on the King James Version. And the King James is still a good translation to read. I read it mainly for the beauty of the language. Um, I would use more something like the English Standard Version or something along those lines to read more for precision. Um, I'm, I'm very hesitant to make value judgments on, on translations. I don't think there are a lot of bad ones because as Ed has said, they're all the word of God and they're all based on the same manuscripts. And I have to remind my people of that, you know, when I teach and they, they compare their Bibles to each other and Hey, they're, those are based on the same manuscripts, but different scholars make different judgments on how to translate this or that phrase. Um, someone asked a question about why would the NLT drop some verses um, I'm, right. I'm Let me add. Sure. So it's not just it's, right. it's not just the NLT. It would be most modern translations. For example, don't include the longer ending of Mark. There's a passage yes. in First John. There's yeah. there's and it has to do with uh, the manuscripts that the that, yes, that, yes. that the King James version uses. So the King James version uses a different manuscript set, and uh, ironically, it uses a younger manuscript set. And the newer translations since then have found older manuscript sets. So the King James is older, but uses a manuscript set that was um, closer to its time, whereas now yes, we go back exactly. a little further. Yeah. So, 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 why why does that matter? Why do we keep looking at manuscript studies like that? This this is a this is a great thing, um, and this is why I'm I'm not going to tell you what translation to buy, but I'm going to tell you mm -hmm. to buy a good study Bible. And there are a lot of good, good study Bibles out there. There's a a website. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. There's a YouTube. Um, that, does, that has a really good YouTube video that talks about the various study Bibles and compares them, and you need to seek that out. But a study Bible will give you some of this. We've mentioned the, the long and short endings of Mark. Most Bibles will give you a note when you get to the end of Mark that says, you know, after this verse, these endings are not in any of the oldest manuscripts. So I believe the last verse of Mark that we know is in the oldest manuscript says that um, the women went to the tomb and, and they saw the angel and then they went back, you know, went back to their homes frightened, which is a strange way to end that gospel, but it does end there the, in terms of the original, the oldest manuscripts we have. There are manuscripts from a little later that have endings that seem to have been cobbled on and a little bit similar to Matthew, etc. And so the point is, you should have a note in your Bible that tells you about this. So nobody's trying to sneak anything by you. Now, the other big one is John, uh, is it John 6? The woman caught in adultery. And the right. woman caught in adultery story, this is where he was without sin cast the first stone. That story, it's a favorite story, but it's not in the oldest manuscripts. Now, it is such a wonderful Jesus story, and it's so much in keeping um, with the Gospels, then it has been left in, but usually 
with a qualifying note that says, this is not part of the original manuscripts. For that reason, some preachers will not preach from that passage um, because they're saying, we, we really don't know if this is in the original autographs. So <clears throat> those are the two biggest passages that have uh, questions about them. But there are other little places here and there. The Lord's Prayer. Um, here are some some of the verses were in the original or the oldest. So those are those are some the reasons you need a good study Bible is they give you some of the background to that. Yeah, super helpful. And and again, it's it's worth noting that a lot of this is is in every study Bible because it's not like a secret that people are trying to. Sometimes you'll end up in a maybe a King James only conversation. Right. And they'll also often point to First John 5, 7, and 8, which in the King James Version says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Um, and that's omitted from almost all modern uh, versions. It's But yeah. a King James only person would say, but listen, that proves the Trinity. Well, the Trinity's in the Bible. It's It doesn't need this verse that is kind of found later yes. in later manuscripts as well. And we should also add that there's no doctrine of Scripture that is uh, overturned or undermined by any manuscript difference as well. Okay, we're getting we're getting Not down a rabbit hole right. here, and I should and I should stop that. So, but I, again, I'm interested <laughs> in the topic as well. So, um, but let's go to Gary in Alabama. Gary, you're live on the air with your question or comment. Go right ahead. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'd like to know: Is it can you justify a position that? Surely the God who created the universe could preserve his word, and through all the translations, maybe I don't know exactly the word that was used in the original, but surely the meaning is still applicable in the various translations of the Bible that we have. Yeah. So, what do you what do you, what do you think, Rob? Oh, and let me say too. Uh, oh, yeah. We're going to give you a copy of of uh, we're going to give you a copy of his book, um, and the book that conquered time. So, um, you know, how does God preserve His Word? As a matter, I mean, how is that case important that God has preserved His Word? Well, it's 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 very important, very important because we have to know that we haven't been mixing in um, our own doctrines and our own ideas and our own guesses. But that, um, as Gary says, God inspired his word from the beginning, and, and it, it comes down to us. And this is, I think, the heart of the book that I wrote, is the fact that after these thousands of years, this book is still the bestseller. It still blesses lives. Every time I teach, it doesn't matter what the passage is, the prodigal son, I've taught the prodigal son and I know you have too, Ed, over and over and over, and it's never the same story. Every time I come to it, there's something new in it. And what it is is that's the Holy Spirit applying it to my life and where I am in life and where the hearers of the lesson are and what they need to hear. And so it's a living word. God is speaking through it. The same God that spoke thousands of years ago, as Gary pointed out, is still speaking to us but through that word, through the word he inspired. So that's why it's so important for us to understand that it's a living book. 
Okay. So we're going to continue our conversation with Rob Suggs in just a moment. And the book is The Book That Conquered Time. We've got one more segment with your calls. I'll give you one number one more time. We're going to try to do a rapid fire round, which I have not been a good model or example of when I started going into the manuscript stuff. So forgive me. 877-548-3675 is our number. That's 877 877- 548-3675. The book that conquered time with author Rob Suggs. We're going to talk more about the Bible in just a minute. Hey, we're back. Head Steps are live. We're going to do, I don't know, a lightning round kind of thing. I'm going to go hopefully to Clark and then to Elena and then to Judy, and then we'll keep going through. So Clark, Elena, and Judy, you be ready but with brief questions, and then we'll have Rob give brief answers, and they'll all be around his book, The Book That Conquered Time. So, Clark, you're up first. How do you defend the Old Testament scriptures? Talk to us about your question. I almost gave your question, but tell us what your question is. <laughs> you beat me to it. Um, huge fan of Moody Radio. Thankful for you guys, for your love for the Lord. Um, yeah, so just in essence of how many manuscripts there are for the New Testament— I'm just wondering how to provide a, a reason for the hope within me for the um, the Old Testament scriptures, since there aren't as many manuscripts. Super question, Clark. Hold on, I'm going to give you a copy of the book. Rob, what do you think? Less manuscripts in the Old Testament. Less manuscripts, but they were scrupulously uh, copied by scribes, even more carefully than the New Testament in many cases. And um, there's just very little... There, there, there's very little dispute. Um, a, a complete version of Isaiah was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s, and it perfectly matched, almost perfectly matched, what you know what we've always used. Yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls were such a huge find that addressed some of these issues as well. Super question, Clark. Remember, we're going to give you a copy of that book. Elena in Wheeling, Illinois, you're live on the air. Go ahead. Oh, hi, thanks. Well, how do you um, answer someone who says, yes, the Bible is this historic book, but only in the fact that it, um, it helps mankind with its agenda of, like, pro-communism, anti-communism, pro-homosexuality, anti-homosexual, and it just helps man push his agenda through time, just as you would use Shakespeare, which has lasted um, quite a long time, and the ancient philosophers. They put the Bible on that, on that shelf because you can use it for okay. your agenda. Okay, That's good. Elaine, thank you. Let's let's have Rob jump in, okay? Let's have Rob jump in. So it was hard to hear too. So what um so how do you start with people who believe the Bible is is used for an agenda rather than maybe historic and in our case we believe inerrant and inspired? Well, it's it's number one, it's so broad and it doesn't cover agendas other than um, well, n- not really other than the problem of sin, what to do about our sin. Who, are, who is humanity and who is God? And it covers those main things, and it touches on these other things, but it's not about an agenda. As far as ancient literature, I enjoy Homer's Odyssey and Homer's Iliad. I enjoy Aesop's fables, which were written at the same time as the book of Daniel, but I don't. they don't speak into my life. The Bible does. Okay, good. Uh, Judy, we're going to go to Judy in Sycamore, Illinois, listening to WMBI. Judy, you're live on the air with your question. Please jump right in. I will. Hi. I've rephrased my question since I left it with the caller, but in conversation with someone who seems to be really pushing their point that the Bible's just not true and can't be believed, 
what would be the best beginning response to them? Um, how, how do you start with the information that's been given today? There's so much of it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. By the way, well, thanks for pushing through with that phone ringing in the background. Yes. I appreciate you staying on the on the question. So, so what do you think? I mean, how do you start? Is is her question, Judy Swing? When somebody maybe questions that starting point, start with a non argumentative attitude. That's the best thing you can do. Listen carefully, nod, say I understand how you would ask that question, and I would invite you to read the Bible. I would invite you to listen to it, to its words and see what it says. And um, that you might have some preconceptions. Like the man said, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I probably don't believe in that God either. So, but the main thing is we don't, not to get drawn into arguments with people because when people become very defensive in arguments and we can never make any progress that way. Yeah, for sure. And that's helpful. I, I like I think it's helpful. You say you say in the book that if the Bible disappeared tomorrow, its imprint would remain really across our culture and every part of life. Explain what you mean by that. And we, we hit on this a little earlier in the interview. Um, it has had such an effect on shaping Western civilization that um, we can't carry on a conversation without using phrases that come out of the Bible. Whenever we say something like a prophet in his own country or or any of those things where um, we're using words and ideas that come out of the Bible. So, um, and then our system of government, our, our um, the idea that justice um, is what we owe to people, these are biblical ideas. So it's just, it's just been a tremendous, just the very idea of sin is another one. The idea, I think most people have a conception of uh, the fact, the lack of perfection in humanity, and the fact that there's something wrong with us—that's the idea of sin. You don't find as much about that in Eastern religions, but it's a biblical idea. That um, so, our culture has been just shaped tremendously by the Bible. Super, super. Chris, Chicago, you got a question in your comment. You're live on the air. Go for it. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I was wondering how early translations into languages other than Greek, like maybe Coptic and other languages, uh, help us to understand what the original autographs uh, would would indicate or help us to get back to those? That's a super question, Chris. And it's kind of like, like it's beyond my my, I'm not, I know, but just so everyone knows, the Bible's written in three primary languages, uh, the biggest of which is Hebrew and Greek. And then we have it translated English, but it was translated into other things as well. So what do you think, Rob? You got any brilliant insights on that? Not on, not as much on the Coptic. That's a really good question. Makes me well, maybe want just to in go general, about some, more, translated, some more research. Right. What about just it being translated into other languages? How does that speak to our confidence in the Bible? Yeah, I think that's something that I work really hard when teaching it to help people understand is that languages aren't perfectly portable to other languages. So we have to do a lot, little extra work when we're working from the Greek and we know that we see the word love. Most people know that the Greek has several words for love, not even just three, but more than that. And so we have to understand which Greek word was used. So yes, the languages are very, very important because we have to understand what they meant to those, the words meant to those cultures. And that's why, again, yeah. a good study Bible can be helpful. 
Yeah, super question, Chris. Good. I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna do a little googling about that afterwards, and maybe even move beyond Google. We're gonna go to Paul. He's listening on My Faith Radio. I love the Faith Radio Network, by the way. Paul, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. See, I have a quick question. Why do we have to limit the Bible to say that it must be completely an accurate historical document? And did older theologians, like I'm talking about 500,000 years ago, see it only in that way? That's a good question, Paul. That's a good question. So I think he's talking about an historical document. In other words, um, does it does it always accord and accurately record history? And did theologians thousands of years ago see it that way or see it more... Uh, they can see it sometimes using more as metaphor, things of that sort. Why does that matter? We got about two minutes left in the program. I think the, what the Bible attempts to do is to be a book of faith. And that's the primary thing that is. However, in terms of history, for example, here's what I've learned. Always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt because archaeologists keep finding things all the time that reinforce what the Bible says. The history in it is extremely accurate. Um, now, when you get into questions of science, that's almost a philosophical thing. There are poetic descriptions of let the mountains clap their hands. Mountains don't literally clap their hands, you know, things like that. So when you get into um, those kinds of, you, we have to understand when the Bible is speaking poetically, when it is speaking historically, when it is speaking on faith, because it does use a lot of allegory, metaphor, parable and all of those things. God expects us to use our brains and our common sense when we study it, <clears throat> but it's, it's best not to get too hung up on it as strictly a book of history, because it's not primarily a book of history. It's a book that contains history. It's not primarily a book of history. It's a book that contains history. And I would say when it speaks to history, it does, it, it does so uh, intentionally. And, and I, so I right. think ultimately, boy, we're just at the end of the program. So I want to, and accurately, I want to, I want to go, I want to go and spend like 10 minutes on just that answer, but we have about a minute left. So last word from you is again, the book is the book that conquered time. Rob Zuggs, I want to encourage people to get the book, but what, in a in a paragraph or less, what was it that drove you to this topic? And why do you think it matters to Christians? A deep lifelong love of the Bible the, the book is almost a fan letter to the Bible for me. And um, wanting to get to know it and wanting to walk with it through its own life, which people don't normally do, and to, to, to learn about the path the Bible has been on. Fascinating. You speak of the Bible as if, you know, like almost like a person. You're writing a biography. And, and I think I think between yes. the Bible and understanding its origin really is, it's, it's actually a discipline. It's actually, I have professors at the Talbot School of Theology who teach on that. But this is a good, accessible resource. So I'm going to thank my guest, Rob Suggs, for joining me today. Thank him for writing the book that conquered time. Also, thanks to the behind-the-scenes team here at Moody Radio, my producer, the amazing Karen Hendren, my engineer, Bob Moreau, and Laura, man on the phones today. To hear today's program again, you'll find it at edsetsorlive.com or on the Moody Radio app, where you can actually subscribe to every program as a podcast. All the Moody Radio programs as podcasts. Connect with us through social media at Ed Stetzer Live. And remember, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, which is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.